I was like dogged and focused on making it happen. And the main reason was the wealth because my house has, I've only had my triplex for 18 months. It's gone up in value like almost 200,000 in 18 months. Double up, three or four times. I ain't telling no lies, let's run it up. I think what everyone wants to know now is what are you gonna do with all this money? Uh, uh, I'm gonna reinvest my money into the community. You are now tuned into the Double Up Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Double Up Podcast. It's Gene, also known as Mr. Marshall, the real estate guy. Yo, what's good, fam? Hey, it's B-Rob, a.k.a. the infamous CPA. Thank you for rocking with us. This episode, episode, what is this, 24? 20, no, it's 25. 25. 25. Hey, shout out to Simeon D. Rose. You got it. Hey, my favorite player, man. Hey, what's good, bro? How how you double up this past week? What's been going on? Talk to us. Talk to the people. So, um, I don't know if I shared this on the last episode or not, but I hired a business and life coach. Okay. Um, They've grown over um, 350 small businesses to generate 1 million a year um, over the span of three years or less. So went ahead and took that leap of faith. There was actually a referral from another buddy of mine who is currently making um, for the last two years, uh, generating a million dollars plus in his business. Um, but one of the parables that they shared with me um, that I shared with you guys was, uh, it was it was from John D. Rockefeller. And uh, one thing that he said was, he who works all day has no time to make money. Mm. And I was like, I, I really had to dwell on that because for some of us, we may say, well, if you're not working, then how do you, you plan to make money? Because you got to produce something in order to receive anything. Well, when you really dive into what that uh, that parable, what that means is that so many of us, you know, when we're working, we're focusing on the tactical things, right? And not the strategic things. And it's the strategic things that really accelerate our growth and really take us to the next level. So it was it was that. I was dwelling on that for a while. And then uh, another parable he, he, he dropped on me was act as if act as if and he was he was really dwelling on the fact that so many of us um we're, we're kind of held back from our own self-image of ourselves and you have to begin now acting as if you are already in the moment in the present moment of the person that you're striving to become mm. so act as if so i was really taking the last week two weeks to really um digest some of the material and content that we were discussing um so so that and then on, t- on top of that man I, I went ahead i'm talking with a list right now because i went ahead i signed up for uh Goddamn it, smile direct. So I'm trying to get used to talking with these aligners in my mouth. Right. Um, but yeah, man, that's that's really how how I double up the last couple of weeks is really just um, building my relationship with my business and life coach and really inst- instilling these small parables into my daily life, man, so that we could you know really begin to transcend and benchmark where you are in comparison to where you're going. How about you? Right. So no, uh, first I want to say kudos to you, man, because that's dope. Like I hired a um, accountability and strategy coach as well a couple months ago, and it's been it's definitely been transformative. Like just being able to have someone that holds you accountable like she's pushing me really hard to get this book out right now um like literally anytime i post she dm me like how's writing go how's writing go um but outside of that man it's dope because one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that once you become an entrepreneur 
like time management, that's like your biggest thing, right? And you got to have that willpower to get things done. But coming from a system where we're always used to being told what to do, we always told, you know, what projects to work on, when it's due, et cetera, et cetera. And we always have someone um, above us to check in with like a manager, supervisor, whatever, right? We're used to that system. So now, you know, having to push ourselves each and every day, even when we don't feel like it, like a lot of people can't do that. Uh, that's why it's always great to have somebody in a corner to push you, even if there's not like your employer when you become an entrepreneur, like having a strategy coach, accountability coach, whatever it is, right? Business coach is super, super beneficial. So any new entrepreneurs out, new entrepreneurs out there, I would highly recommend y'all spend the money, invest the money and get in one. Because, man, it'll really help you take yourself to the next level. And like Eugene was saying, man, like, if you don't got the time of you always working, you can't really build a real business. You're going to kind of stay in that self-employed bucket versus being an actual business owner with employees, which is, you know, obviously the goal. Um, But for me, man, I've been working on these projects, man. So on the St. Lawrence project, we're supposed to be closing either on the 30th or on the 2nd of December. So super, super happy to close this one out and get that check, get that check, man. Cause I'm ready. I'm rolling it right into another project. Once I find it, I'm literally just going to set 50 K aside. Um, and then just hold that until I find another, another project to flip. Um, and then on my other project, the two unit that it's a full gut, we just got architectural plans. Um, just got our letter back from the alderman to expedite some things and just got our survey completed literally today as well. So, um, because of the holiday, we won't be able to submit our permit app till Monday, but you no, know, I'm excited that all the ducks in a row are, are in a row there. And then, you know, in two weeks, since we do have an architect with the self expedite, we should get that approval in about two weeks bearing any, bearing no hiccups. So super, super, super excited about that, man. Like ready to get rock and rolling. Um, got a big decision ahead. I'm really thinking about just throwing some equity at it and just GCing to myself. But the thing is, I won't have my GC license till like mid-February is what I'm expecting. Um, so constantly just thinking about what we're going to do there because I could just, you know, still fire the GC, not really GC it myself in an intermediate, um, but kind of wait it out, but still get some things done and just pay out of pocket for them. And then maybe get reimbursed by the bank. It'll be a real intricate uh, situation, but I'll figure it out. Um, I'll save a ton of money though doing that. But the risk there is like, you know, from a timing perspective, especially if I wait till I get my actual GC license, which never know how it's going to take with, you know, how things are moving with COVID. But outside of real estate, I'm back in the stock market. Um, So I stopped trading for a while. I actually had about a 10K loss on some options in October. And that made me kind of redefine my strategy. Um, And what's crazy is that the stock that I had those options on literally popped a month after. Literally went from like 85 cents to all the way up to like $4. So my strategy was right. My analysis was right. I missed it. I missed time to buy about a month, but still made um, like 15K this week. So that made up for that and then some. So yeah, that's that's a, that's a pretty much how I've been double up this past couple of weeks. Man, we, we, we love to hear it, man. So the stock market got me taking the back seat. I've been taking the back seat on the stock market since, goddamn it, June, July. Um, I think, I think so. All right. So I had an option. I had almost 15 contracts out with IDEX okay. for October and yep. none of them hit. Mm-hmm. None of them, all of them expired. None of them hit. So I was like, damn. Um, and then I seen 
seen I seen it, it had spiked back up, and I was like, Lord, only if. You know, <laughs> exactly. Uh, only if, man. But yeah, so, yo, when you, when you get your check, where we going shopping? Right. Where we, where we going shopping? I, I, I know I know we going somewhere, man. Where we going? Nah, <laughs> I ain't doing too much shopping. I already spent a little bag on uh, a little Christmas stuff for my girl, and then we got an anniversary coming up, so you know how that go. Um, but I am doing something. I can't tell. She actually listened to the podcast, so I can't say it yet. But man, it's gonna be a dope experience. I decided not to buy an actual gift, uh, but like, a, well, I got some gifts too. But an actual experience is gonna be super, super dope. But um, yeah, man, we got a, a super dope guest today talking about one of my favorite topics: house hacking. But from a a high cost perspective, you know, a high cost market. But we're gonna get into that right after we talk about the double up millionaire of the week, man. So. The Double Up Millionaire of the Week is Robert Church. So Robert Church, he was the first African-American millionaire in the South. Um, So just a little bit about Robert Church. He was born in 1839 to a white steamboat captain. So he was actually mixed. And his mother was a a slave. She was a seamstress, right? Um, He started off with his dad working on steamships. Um, and like many, many old, you know, black millionaires that we featured, he kind of peaked the game of wealthy people that was coming on those steamships, right? So he learned business through that and then started investing. Um, so what happened was his ship that he was on actually got captured during the Civil War, but he didn't get captured. He actually, you know, jumped, jumped overboard, swam, and then he ended up in Memphis, so what he did was he eventually in Memphis, he, he landed in Memphis, Tennessee, and he opened a saloon and a hotel, a restaurant, a brothel, a theater, and an auditorium, and also had a booming real estate business all in Memphis. So he kind of you know went crazy after that, after he um, got off that boat. So it came with a lot of adversity though, because you know at the time, you know, even though he could pass for white because he was that light-skinned, it still he still undertook a ton of of scrutiny. So after he um, opened up the first black pool hall in 1865, he was actually shot by policemen. They came, they looted, they looted his store during the race war, um, and he was shot. But he survived, and a couple years later, he helped revitalize Memphis. And at the time, Memphis was undergoing a, a yellow fever epidemic. So a lot of you know wealthy white people they fled Memphis, but he stayed and he renovated nine huge properties along what's now known as Beale Street. Uh, if you're familiar with Memphis, you know Beale Street is bussing. It's like you know it was kind of like the Black Wall Street back in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, so that helped position him as the first black millionaire in the South. And then in the early 1900s, he also helped found Solvent Savings. Bank, which was the first black bank in Memphis since the collapse of the Freedmen Savings and Trust Company. If you're familiar with the Freedmen Savings and Trust Company, then you know how the government kind of um, didn't ensure the deposits on a ton of free, uh, newly free slaves and made a lot of people lose a lot of their money. Uh, but yeah, he he was really big on philanthropy as well. Um, he donated to local schools, social and civic organizations, charities, and he was basically known as the most prominent philanthropist in Memphis. So, man, he has a super, super dope story. So for those out there who've never heard of Robert Church, I would highly recommend, you know, looking him up, man. Like we have some crazy, crazy dope stories 
in our past that will never, ever be talked about in school. So I think it's important to just know your history, because if you plan on leaving a legacy, you plan on having a family, you need to be able to share these stories with them. So they'll know because in school, they're going to teach them about slavery. That's it. They're going to teach about everybody who grew prominent um, that grew up in slavery. And then they all they're going to have is these idols, which is nine times out of 10 going to be celebrities that isn't really going to do too much for them. So, no, I think it's super important. You know what, man? That 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 is dope. And um, as we as we matriculate into, you know, bringing out our guests, I want to piggyback on um, this past week where, you know, they, we had the Jeezy and the Gucci versus battle, right? Mm-hmm. And the Jeezy and Gucci versus battle, you know, Twitter, Instagram, people kind of went, went, went in because Gucci made a statement, something along the lines of, you know, next time man, we need to have a jury versus. And Jeezy said, well, you know, I don't got $10,000 for jury on, but I own at least half of Atlanta, right? Yeah. So, so that, that brings us to, to the point where we really have to be intentional about what we're doing, right? I'm pretty sure Jeezy could, you know, go get $10,000 for jewelry or not jewelry, but, you know, clothes just straight off his, you know, his real estate portfolio. But bring, bringing it back to real estate, man, we got a, we got a phenomenal, phenomenal guest in the building. Yes, sir. Guest in the building, man. Where he at? He here? Yes, sir. So let me, before we bring him on, let me just give you guys a brief, you know, bio. Uh, So our guest today is Mark Jones II. He is an LA native and real estate investor. Uh, He grew up in Los Angeles and was inspired by his father, who was also a businessman that kind of taught Mark the values of entrepreneurship and the power of real estate investing. Um, So he was around and got to witness the real estate equity boom, you know, prior to the bubble of 2007 and 2008. And that really inspired him by the idea of acquiring some equity appreciation in real estate. And he knew that, you know, wealth is built by real estate. And, you know, just looking at most looking at how most millionaires and most billionaires made their wealth in some way, shape, form or fashion. It was through real estate. Um, So. Mark is also a dietitian. He graduated from, um, I think he's, well, I think now he's getting his MBA at, from UCLA in uh, real estate and real estate finance, if I'm not mistaken. He'll correct me if I'm wrong, but in 2015, <laughs> he started house hacking um, a single family, um, which allowed him to live rent free. And then he used the equity from that to get his first triplex in Los Angeles. And for those who don't know, man, Los Angeles real estate ain't cheap, man. It's not cheap. Like if you think about a triplex probably in Chicago, it's finished depending on depending on neighborhood, you're looking at 320, 340, easy. But in LA, you're probably looking at double, triple that depending on the area, right? So man, Mark, Welcome to the show. Super glad to have you on, man. Thank welcome. you for the welcome, man. Um, Brian, man, I got to say, man, Infinite CPA, you really inspired me, man. I know I started delivering free brain, but when I got online, I was like, man, I got to teach the people about house hacking. I got to share my experience. I saw the young brother uh, shining and teaching people about um, real estate, personal finance, self-development. Um, and so I just want to thank you, man, for the inspiration. Man, likewise, bro. Like, man. I, so one thing that's funny, because um, I remember just growing up, right, when two people would be doing doing the same thing or selling the same thing, they mm-hmm. never, ever kind of connected. Right. <laughs> you know, I got a house hacking course. He has a house hacking course. And man, out your hair mom, man. I think you just hit like 70K or something in sales or something crazy like that, right? 
And man, I can't wait to cheer you on when you get to 100K. Like, I really man, can't you, wait. You, 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 you know, you led the way, man. You said, you know what I'm saying? You said, you set the bar, man. And um, I, I honestly just, just, just thinking about that millionaire, double up millionaire. Um, and if you notice, they always like serve some group of people. A lot of times it's our people. Yep. Um, and what I realized, man, um, is that like you're uniquely you, and where each person is uniquely th- themselves, and they we can we can um, learn from each other and band together and do more. So um, I had to change that mind. Big facts, big facts. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, can you just give a brief, you know, um, a brief intro into your backstory, you know, where you grew up, how, what was it like growing up and then how you got to where you are today? Yeah, man. So you covered some of it already. Um, Born and raised in LA. I'm from a part of LA. Um, It's called West Mid City now. Over time, you know, the name for the other neighborhoods and things like that changed, but it's near like um, Little Ethiopia, um, near like Beverly Hills, near West Hollywood. Um, And so I saw a lot of like affluence growing up and I saw a lot of um, gentrification and appreciation. I was always pretty keen on paying attention to what's happening outside of me and like business wise because I was very interested in entrepreneurship. I was a lemonade stand kid. I was slinging candy in school, etc. Counting money on my birthday, putting in the piggy bank, all that. Um, and so it was always like, you know, prevalent in my mind. And I remember hearing from my parents that the property went from like 180, 190,000 in like 97 to over a million in like 06, 07. So in my head, I'm like, wait a minute. We all, all we did was cut the grass, you know what I'm saying? Paint, paint a couple of walls in there. We didn't do much. And also the neighborhood itself didn't change. Yeah, the commercial district and stuff around us changed. But um it taught me the power of like real estate um appreciation. And so I started getting into real estate and learning, hey, you can make a lot of money out of this. You know what I mean? You can you can get equity quickly, especially in Southern California. Um, and even after the boom, bro, like after I finished school, I would hear coworkers saying, oh, yeah, my house went up in uh, value 150000 Oh, yeah, mine too. It went up 180000 in a couple of years. And I'm like, 150000 US? Like, you know what I mean? 180000 US? And I'm like, yo, I got to get into this. So, um, you know, I started investing, man, and it was tough at first. And then you get your stride, man, and you start feeling confident and feeling like you can do more deals. So, um, so yeah, man, that's kind of like the basics of it. Oh, dope, dope. So one thing I thought was interesting, man, is you're a dietitian. So mm-hmm. my question is, you know, what kind of made you interested in that? And then um, like, why didn't, what what made you jump from that to real estate? I know you grew up, grew up with real estate, but yeah, I don't know too many dietitians that invest in real estate. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cra- it's crazy, man, because it's like I had it. I remember telling my, my older sister who knows me really well um, that I was going back to school to get my MBA at UCLA and um, get into business. And she's like, you know, the young Mark would be would be proud of you because that's that's was like my original passion, original dream. But through a series of events, my my mother, she passed away when I was younger, she passed away when I was like 17. But she had cancer. So when she found out she had cancer, she changed her whole lifestyle. So we learned about. Like I met Dr. Shabi like way back in the day and his office was in LA like before he was, when his stuff was on VHS. So I'm watching his videos. We learned about nutrition. We learned about eating healthy, um, veganism and you and Cali. So it's like the yoga, it's all that. So I'm like, hey, I want to teach the community this. I want to become a dietitian, right? And I became passionate about it. Um, but I learned, you know, we only get one shot at this. And you're speaking of the millionaires and the abundance. And it's like real estate is going to allow me to do more for myself, for my family, my future family, um, and my community, man. So I always invested on the side, but now I need to turn up the heat, man. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get that millionaire status. So I had, nah, to, I had to switch over. I feel that. I think that's dope because... 
a lot of people they don't have multiple passions um like your for you it seems like your nine to five is a passion you know being a dietitian and then your side hustle is a passion as well and i think that is the perfect way to do it if you can uh, i know some people their passions may be um a little bit on the low end when it comes to salary but mm-hmm. if you can if you got a passion that's paying you well from a nine to five perspective and just allows you to filter that money and funnel it into another passion, which in this case for you is real estate. I think that is perfect. And I was in a similar situation as well before I got laid off, but man, you don't, you don't got to get rid of that nine to five, like make it work for you until it's really not feasible anymore. Um, That's why I typically tell people like, you don't got to jump ship ASAP. Just make it work for you as long as possible, especially now, because I'm sure most people are working from home. They just running up a bag. Like I know people who just made, you know, a hundred K month in the stock market and they still got their nine to five because they work from home. There's really no point of quitting when you can easily multitask. Big time. I, I agree uh, like 100%. A lot of people don't realize you need jobs for uh, for the mortgage approval. Um, another thing is just you just leverage it. You know what I mean? You leverage it and um, you start doing, you know, online deals or, or excuse me, online uh, courses or you start a, um, a business, you know what I mean? Consulting or whatever your business is going to be, man. Um, the nine to five. It was just ridiculous, man. Once I started uh, selling courses and real estate money and the nine to five money and the stock market money, it's like there's no reason no, to quit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm already it's crazy. Man. Yeah, it's a, it's a wise thing. Yeah, it's a wise thing. That's fire. So um, one of my questions that I had was just in regards to your decision to invest in LA. Like I get it, you're an LA native, but at the same time, I feel like the popular approach to investing in a high cost market is to move to a lower cost market. You know, a lot of people in LA investing in Detroit and, you know, various areas in the Midwest. So what made you want to invest in Cali? You know what, man? Um, it's it's two things. I was real stubborn um, because it was kind of like redemption, right? I, um, when my mom passed away, we, we, li- we lived in a really nice uh, area, really nice neighborhood, and uh, we lost our home, bro. We lost our home. Um, and it was kind of like we lost it, but we didn't lose it. I'll tell a brief story. My sister inherited it, but she was like 19. Okay. So she couldn't, you know, keep up with the payment. You're talking a million dollar, you know, property. She couldn't keep up with the payments. And one of our neighbors, he was kind of, now I realize he's like a gentrifier. It's like a white dude that moved into our neighborhood. He bought the house behind us. He's like, hey, I can help you guys with the mortgage. I'll give you some money on top. But we got barely anything um, based on the value of the home. Mm-hmm. So um, we lost the property, you know what I mean? And so that hit me hard. And I saw so many people going out of state, taking their degree, living in D.C., living in Chicago, whatever. And I was like, damn, I need to do the same thing. If not move, at least invest out of state. But then I met this girl that changed my life, man. I was um, I was on the phone with a broker trying to buy some property. So I, I got a HELOC which is a home equity line of credit on my first house hack, my first single family had gone up in value. I was going to buy two more properties, kind of like in a rural high desert and then rent out the rooms to like engineers, right? Because I thought I couldn't buy in LA. But I met this girl on the phone and she was like 27, 28. She was my age at the time. And she's like, I told her my dream. I said, I wish I could have a four unit in LA, triplex in LA. I know it's too expensive. She said, I own two in LA. And my mind's like blown. I'm like, you sound really young. How old are you? She's like, I'm 27, I'm 28, how old she was. And she gave me the game. She taught me, you know, how to make it work. She taught me to some some neighborhoods I wasn't familiar with out here in LA. Um, and she was like, stick to it, like stick at it. So I was like, dog it, bro. I was like, dog it and focused on making it happen. And the main reason was the wealth because my house says, I've only had my triplex for 18 months. 
it's gone up in value like almost 200,000 in 18 months. Right. So that's 10 that's 10 bands a month in equity. Um and it's only it's and they they haven't even the appraisal wasn't even based on like the new work that I've done like I painted it, uh did some renovations on the inside. Mm-hmm. It was just based off like the, the common sales, the comparable sales. So that's going to make me rich, man, in the long term, man. Um is the is the is the equity. Um but the cash flow is nice out of state, but it's not going to make you rich. It, it it will buy you freedom though. The cash flow, I say, will buy you freedom, but it's not going to make you uh, rich unless you do it on a large scale. Thanks. So, so with, I, I think it's, it's very important to emphasize that, you know, there's power in having the right relationships. Mm-hmm. And with the, the young lady that you met, she exposed you to some information that you didn't have prior to meeting her. Mm-hmm. Um, can you can you share with us, what was, what was some of the things that she shared with you where the light bulb kind of popped on was like, oh, this is what I've been missing this whole time. Right, he's like, give, give us the game, Gene. Give us, Gene's like, give us the real game. <laughs> so that, what, she, what she did was she exposed, so there's a rule when you want to buy a triplex or fourplex through FHA, it's called the self-sufficiency rule. Um, and it just means that 75% of the rents from the property has to be able to pay for the mortgage not even counting your income, right? That's just in case, worst case scenario, COVID-19, a disaster, whatever, people die, you, you, the rest of your tenants need to be able to pay for it. But the issue in LA, we, we uh, deal with rent control. Um, and so you'll find these really expensive properties that go on for a million, 700,000, 800,000 that have rent that's really low. So she taught me that there's some areas that ha- that are um, in LA County, but they're unincorporated Los Angeles, so or, or unincorporated city. So what that means is they're not underneath the same rent control um, ordinances. And you can find these properties that have higher rents or market level rents um, that will meet the criteria. Uh, she also exposed me to an area that had a lot of multifamilies that had like a large single family on the lot and like a duplex or a triplex also on the lot. But how that changed the game was if you got a three or four bedroom single family, that joint could bring in 2000 2500 they can bring in nasty cash flow you live in one of the the units and then you rent out the other two and your mortgage is more than covered um in that scenario even if you got like a five thousand dollar mortgage you're, you're still cash flowing or, or you're breaking even so when she said that um it, it it all clicked for me and made it possible man and that's what i have now my triplex that has a single family home that i can yeah. rent for more and then i have a duplex as well on it um but the single family home has like fruit trees a porch backyard it's a full ass house so that way you can charge oh, more wow. money. So yeah. it's a game. That's huge. So you still got the uh, the first single family as well? No. So um, I cash. I think that one went up like eighty five thousand in like two years because it was in okay. the suburbs, so it didn't go up as fast. Um, and I sold it. I was trying to avoid selling it, man. I was trying to avoid selling it, but um, everything the way it was lining up, I needed more money because out here it's expensive. You need three point five percent down if you're going to go FHA. Yeah. You need closing costs. You need the reserves. It just keeps stacking up. Um, and she's like, oh, yeah, just ask your family. Like, oh, yeah, just ask your your rich grandfather. You know, what I mean? I'm just like, nah, it's not like that. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't have it like that. So I was like, I'm going to have to sell the, uh, sell the property. I took the bag, um, kept that as reserves, but I actually pivoted and used NACA because it made more sense uh, financially. But I could have gone um, FHA, though. Got you. So let's talk Let's talk numbers on the single family. Uh, since you, you know, you rented out the rooms. Uh, so what okay. kind of, how many beds, you know, how many baths? How did you choose, you know, the individuals that you rented from? Because a lot of people, they're scared. They hear like, right. rent the rooms. I'm on strangers living with me. Like, what? <laughs> like, nah. Like, I've had so many people I explain it to, and they just like, right. never. I'll I'm never not do with it. it. 
I don't want no roommates. Maybe they had a bad experience in college. They're like, I'm not going. So can you just right. tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's, it's dope. Like the dope thing is like if you flip the script a little bit um, in big cities like in L.A. and New York, if you're not like well to do, everybody has roommates, right? So the dope part is, just to put it into perspective, is you get to choose your roommates. A lot of times you get into roommate situations, you don't choose the roommates. It's just like you you apply and it's already roommates there. So they may have habits that you're not aware of. They may do things that you don't agree with. Um, but when you're in a house hacking situation, and the reason why I chose a single family was in the suburb where I was buying, they didn't have duplexes and triplexes like that. They had a few, but because it's like a suburb, it's just that, a suburb. So they built for you know single families, the schools, the churches, all that. So what I did was it was it's in a city called Lancaster, which is close to um, a military base, an Air Force base. And it's a lot of engineers um, there. Right. So um, I made sure it was like really nice. I included like you know cable, Wi-Fi. I didn't get a cleaner till later, but um, I just made it really appealing for like young people to come and move in. And then what I did was I interviewed them. Right. Um, I would ask them questions. You can't ask any discriminating questions like, you know, what's your religion or anything like that. But it's kind of like, um, oh, you know, you know, you're not a clean freak, are you? You know what I mean? I hate those clean freaks. But I actually was looking for somebody who was clean, but I wanted to test how they would respond to the clean freak thing. Exactly. And also I would meet them out at their car and peep their car, look in the inside of the car, see if it was like dirty or not. Um, and then I had the strict criteria in terms of credit score, background check, all that. Um, and if they didn't meet it, they got denied. It didn't matter their emotions. Another thing was calling their boss at work and calling the previous landlords to get an idea of what kind of person this was, what kind of tenant this was, is this person a leader? Um, are they loud or, you know, just to get information. Um, and I just checked for the vibe, bro. I just felt like if we vibe over the phone, if they're friendly in person, we, I would meet them at Starbucks or I'll meet them at the house. And um, I went with there. I've only had one, I only had one bad experience. It was with a, it was with a woman. Um, and she was wild, bro. She tried to have sex with me. She was like, always having guests over and getting, she was loud, having loud sex, drunk all the time. She was wild, but every everybody else, it was, it was great experience. What do you think, um, or where do you think you went wrong with, you know, renting, renting with her? Well, how could you have, what could you have done differently? Gene, you sharp, man. You, you sharp, man. You, you, you always, you, you dig it, you digging deep. So, so what it was, was this is what I always tell um, my, my followers, my students, is have strict criteria and keep the emotions out of it and never, um, never, never compromise on your criteria. So what I did was she was an engineer coming from upstate New York and she was making a lot of money, good credit score, real friendly and cool on the phone, but she didn't have no landlord references. Mm. And I was like, damn, she seemed dope. Like, you know, blind hair, blind hair, you know, white girl. She seemed, seemed nice. She got a good degree. You know what I'm saying? She's an engineer. Maybe I'll take a chance with her. Took the chance. She's living like a savage. She was filthy, um, you know, pee on the toilet, just some crazy stuff. So um, it wasn't, it, it was a lesson for me. Never, never fold on that criteria, man. So if you got a credit score limit, if the if the, if the the credit score, lowest credit score is 600, keep it at 600. If you need three times the rent, keep it at three times the rent. You need landlord reference, keep the landlord reference. Like, don't make exceptions. So you use NACA. I think you mentioned you financed that with NACA, right? Uh, the single family was uh, FHA. Oh, that was so, FHA. Oh man, that was that was dope. I did a uh, I did three point yeah I did three point five percent down man, but um I had the sellers pay the closing costs, mm -hmm. um and it was because I have this technique man I don't know how, what you guys do but I'll, people will be surprised they actually tell you typically why they're selling and people are like genuine and they're honest. 
and they needed a um a bigger home and they found like a, a five bedroom and my house was a three bedroom so i lived in the master and rented it rented out the other two rooms but they had already found their property and they were like hungry to move they're like desperate to move but because of that and they had a daughter with like um multiple sclerosis multiple sclerosis i can't pronounce it but she had some type of condition and they needed a bigger space Mm-hmm. So because in that, I knew they were very motivated. And I said, yep. they need to pay all the closing costs. And my agent is like, nah, what? That's crazy. In this market, you can't ask for that. I said, look, just do it. <laughs> just say it. Boom. They came back, accepted the offer. Um, and we got it cracking, man. So I always recommend that. Ask them what's their, what's their motivation. Nah, that's that's lit. Um, that's crazy. I never knew how that would be like in LA. Because in Chicago, that's almost standard. You know, you renovate a crib, a multi-unit. They're always going to ask for some type of seller's credit to reduce their closing costs um, as a first-time homebuyer. So nah, that's, that's dope. But yeah, you always, always got to find out the motivation. And usually their realtor, their realtor, if you don't get to meet the actual owner, right. the realtor is usually a chatty patty. Yeah, they always, always like- It be in a way. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. But um, so what about the triplex? Let's talk through that. Uh, so that one you use NACA? And then yeah, so, so I mean, with NACA, it just made sense. I know there's another brother, um, I forgot his name, I think his name is like Reggie or something, but he talks about NACA. I think he went to Chicago yeah. um, and he got he got like a million dollar property in uh, Chicago. And bro, the numbers just make sense. So just to tell everybody what NACA is, Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America. It's a nonprofit, but it runs a loan program where you can get um, one to four units, no closing costs, no down payment, no lender fees, and you can bake in the renovations. You can get a renovation loan up to 10% of the purchase price. So that means if you get a million dollar property, you can get up to 100,000. If you get 500,000 property, you can get up to 50,000 for renovations, right? Um, so I'm calculating the numbers and in LA, say I get a million dollar property, 3.5% down is 35 bands, right? 35 racks. You, you need three to six months of reserves, more racks, right? Closing costs, more racks, yeah. right? So I'm like, lender fees, more racks. So I'm calculating it. And I, although I have the money from the 85, you know, thousand dollar cash out, I'm like, I could just keep this money, you know, put it in the bank, maybe use a little bit for renovations and go through NACA, even though it's a hell of a process. It took like six months, yeah. whereas FHA takes you like 60 days. You know what I mean? So um, went through NACA, but it was an incredible, um, it was an incredible deal, man, because they, I think they gave me like 60 bands towards like the whole like closing costs, down payment, lender fees, plus another like 50 or 60 to renovate the property and like make it nice. Like I'm in the kitchen now, we got the chandeliers and stuff, but it was like horrible condition in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, greasy walls, just ugly wood. We got new countertops, just real fresh, man. So, um, it was a dope deal. I recommend it for a lot, for anybody. There's some cons there. There are some cons, but it's a lot of pros if you're trying to buy an exp- in an expensive market. So with, with NACA, are you allowed to be, as the home buyer, do, would they allow you to be the uh, general contractor as well? You know what? You can actually. Um, the only thing, that's a really good question. The only thing is, because I got a I got a homeboy who bought a four unit um, in NACA, through NACA in West, West Adams. It's a nice neighborhood called, called West Adams, but he wasn't filling his contractor. And so him and his boy are um, like GC and they got together and they got it's funny because they like paid themselves or paid their company to do the renovations so you can the only thing with NACA is like everything has to be in-house and what I mean by in-house is they have these webinars and trainings that you have to go through to understand the process 
because they have their own like upload system, their own uh, draw. You know how you do draws when you're doing contract, when you're doing renovations and deals with contractors. They have their own system, uh, documentation system. So you have to get trained on that. But you actually can, man. That's a good, that's a, that's actually a really dope point. I think I may update my course um, and put that in there. Yeah, that's dope. Absolutely. I'm a big, I'm a big, strong believer, man. And uh, if you're doing a renovation, you know, of course, if you have some experience or you know somebody that can kind of help guide you through the process to just do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, just because primarily like I was in a situation where I was working with a contractor and I got burnt, Man. right? Severely burnt and um, ended up having to take the project over myself, uh, but things worked out. So um, my next question for you related to NACA is, can you have a um, an existing FHA loan at the same time you're going through the NACA program or is NACA specifically for uh, first time home buyers, et cetera? So there are limitations speaking of the cons. It's not um, for first time home buyers only because remember I bought my first single family and then right after that, boom, I jumped to the NACA. But you cannot have owner in ownership interest in any other property when you close on the NACA deal. Mm. So what that means is um, when I own my property, I had FHA loan on it when I started NACA. Going through the process, that six months process, I had to sell my house prior to the closing, have no ownership interest in any other property. And then, and that includes on the LLC, because they'll research it. I had an LLC, they're like, oh, what's this LLC? You got any ownership? You know, you own any property in this? I'm like, nah, like, you know, just a business I have, whatever. They'll search it through thoroughly. Um, what some people do is like, you know, they'll, if it's like an out of state property, they'll put it in a family member's name or something like that um, and go through the, you know, go through the process. Um, another thing is uh i know with fha you can't have two fhas but you can have like a conventional um and fha so there there are some restrictions oh and the last thing is i would say if you've inherited a property you can go through naca so if you own a property that you've inherited you can go through naca but no other way can you own a property and go through naca got it Mm-hmm. That's dope. I know a lot of people who've actually went through the NACA pro- program uh, in my fraternity. Um, and the biggest thing they said is the headache in regards to just the timeline. Um, but if you patient, because I did know someone who actually just closed on a two unit, um, one of my homies, and she just could, she was impatient. She's like, look, it's taking too long. The process is crazy. But it's during COVID. So I imagine now, since you said it took, you know, six months for you, it's probably taking a little bit longer for individuals now that we're going through COVID. Like regular closings are taking way longer, you know. Like I told um, a couple episodes ago how the duplex me and my girl purchased, we literally were under contract for like 75 days. And what? even on yeah, and even on this sale, we've been under contract since uh, let me check my calendar since uh, September like fourth, right? So when you think about that, and you think about this program that's already taken a, a long time. It's like you're gonna have to be patient if you want that super low interest rate. If you don't want to pay closing costs. You don't want to pay a down payment. Like at the end of the day, it's probably going to be worth it, but you just got to know it's going to be some delayed gratification. <laughs> you know, that, that's huge because, because so it took me 54 days, I think. Now my students who are buying and, you know, bought my course and they're going through NACA, just getting their first like sit down with the mortgage lender is taking like three, like two to three months. Wow. It took me like two to three days to get mm-hmm. the first workshop. Next week, sat down with the lender. So now you're probably looking at um, like, eight to 12 months to go through the process. Um, if you have the time, I mean, if you're, if you're impatient, you have money, 
just do FHA. I mean, if you don't live in New York, you don't live in, you know what I'm saying, LA, expensive cities, just run it up and get and do the FHA. I mean, negotiate the closing costs, like he was saying, um, it's traditionally done uh, when you're buying a multifamily. So I would say that's my recommendation, man. Because people are always like, that could take too long. I'm like, well, spend that 50000 then. If you got the bag, go spend it. All right. <laughs> What, it's investing. I, You're investing in 50000 My bad. You're not spending it. You're investing it. Uh, one of my questions is, um, you know, as with any investing strategy, you know, every situation is unique. Um, Chicago, LA, Detroit, wherever. Uh, what may be a great deal for one investor may be a horrible for another. You know, what are some of the indicators that Mark look for when he's evaluating a deal that triggers a light bulb and say, you know what, that's something I want to look further into? Um, I think for me, it's a combination of things, right? So, Firstly, with appreciation, if I am looking at a property and I see it's in the line of gentrification, it's in the line of development, it's in the line of appreciation, that's a red flag, right? Because I bought, the reason why my property went up 200000 in 18 months is the Olympics, the stadium where the Olympics is going to be in 2022, if we still have them with COVID, um, is going to be at the stadium like I could ride my bike to the stadium where the Olympics is going to be at. Um, the new new Rams, the new football team also just started over there. The Clippers just got their stadium down the street as well. So when I saw all that and I saw the property, I'm like, damn, like this is huge potential, equity potential. In terms of cash flow and income, it's hard to get cash flow out in LA um, just because of the prices. So what I actually wanted was I was looking for above average rents and my property just barely covers um, the mortgage. So the, the, the rent for my two tenants it was a lot higher than the surrounding. How do I say it? Let me let me let me run it back a little bit. Um, I guess it's called now. I know that now I know the term for now I know the term for it. It's called price to rent ratio. So basically, if I get a property for six. 40, but I'm pulling in like over 30,000 in rent, um, like, you know, 40,000 in rent every year. That's a good price to, to rent ratio. Um, or you can say cap rate. Um, because in LA, you could buy a $900,000 property and you'd be getting like, you know, 20,000, 24,000 um, a year in rent. So when I saw all the cash flow plus the equity appreciation and the price being like close to half a million, it was like a go, like, and value add potential, like it hadn't been paying in like 20, 30 years, the kitchens and the bathrooms was all messed up. So it was like, okay, boom, I can go in and, and add value. So those are the flags that kind of come to uh, kind of my mind. Dope. So with the with the triplex, uh, were you living for free? Were you cash flowing? What did that look like? Yeah, bro. So um, you know, I got the living rent free brand, but I gotta be honest, man. I gotta be honest, man. Straight. <laughs> I um, I'm always straight up. So initially, I wasn't cash flowing, man. I wasn't cash flowing. So I always tell my students, like, set a goal. If you want to say, hey, my rent's being subsidized, my living cost is being subsidized, as Brian says, and I'm paying $500 to have my own spot, $500 a month, and I own a triplex, I own a four unit, that's better than paying $15,000, here in LA. Nice. But, but what I saw was I was paying out every month, I think like $250, almost $300 or like $200, but the rent hadn't been raised in like years, right? So my plan was, okay, get in and raise the rent. So immediately I did some renovations, fixed some things, raised the rent on both the tenants. And then I broke even, um, immediately broke even. Then I was going to raise the rents again this year. And then I'd have been cash flowing a few hundred, but COVID hit and Section 8 is not having it. You can't raise the rents. So um, I saw you got approved for uh Yeah, that's, uh, that's crazy. Yeah. I guess it's you know, we, different we, out we, there. We liberal here, man. You can't even, you can't kick nobody out, man. You can't. They could be beating you up every day, punch you in the face. You can't. You can't kick them out, man. So, 
So yeah, man, uh, I couldn't raise the rents, man. So I wasn't cash flowing, bro. But but just keep in mind, if you get a property, remember you can raise the rents unless it's COVID. Um, but you can raise the rents and set your freedom number, set your your goal number. Is it five hundred a month you want to pay? Is it three hundred a month you want to cash flow? One of my students just closed a triplex today, man, and she's cash flowing on um, three hundred bucks, man. So um, you know, make it work, make it work. It's dope. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people don't realize, even in Chicago, like if you get less than a three unit um, and it's turnkey, freshly rehab, nine times out of 10, you're not going to be cash flowing, but you're still going to be saving versus, um, uh, you're still going to be saving versus actually uh, paying, you know, 1200 1500 like mm-hmm. a lot of people are paying. Like I know someone who just moved downtown recently. They got a nice one room, one room, one bedroom. When I'm telling you, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. The amenities are crazy. They're paying fifteen hundred a month, right? You know, if you if if they took whatever that fifteen hundred dollars a month and they just bought a duplex, fully finished, same finishes. They won't have a view, but they'll be able to, you know, subsidize how much they're paying a month. They probably would have walked away paying like, you know, five, six, six hundred a month. Now they own the property um, and they're paying way, way less. They probably got a garage on it. They probably got, you know, washer and dryer in a unit. You know, if they buy some turnkey, they may have all of that. Right. So it really just depends on how you want to live. Uh, do you just want to kind of throw it away? Um, I kind of look at it as throwing it away to a sense if you're not making a decision. But, you know, I know mm-hmm. some people who are investors and they do rent, uh, but they're actively making that decision. Like, OK, I'm going to invest, but I don't want to I don't want to own where I live. I want to rent where I live. And that's perfectly fine. But a lot of people aren't making that decision. They're just mm-hmm. renting because that's what they're used to. Mm, that's a good point. Very good point. And, and then on top of that, that 1500 you know, it's not going to no appreciation. Mm-hmm. They're not getting no tax benefits, <laughs> right? So they leaving all of that other, you know, variables that really make real estate what real estate is on the table. Yeah, I mean, something crazy. I, I don't like telling my personal finances that much, but, you know, we already we already talking about it now. Um, and I remember because of tax depreciation, um, I got, I think I got like 10, over 10 bands back um, from, from, you know, the IRS. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, oh, that means you pay too much in taxes. But they don't know that um, the money that I use to pay down, like buy down interest, um, pay, buy down the interest rate with NACA, also pay towards my mortgage, the depreciation, all those, you know, accounted and added up to where I got money back. So I was living rent free all that time. And then in a new triplex, renovated, damn near got, got it for free from NACA. And then they sent me a check from the government, all legal. Um, so, and now the property is $200,000 more than what I paid for. So a lot of people, um, are just leaving a lot of money on the table. And like, I think Brian, you made a good point. If you're investing um, with intention and you're living there with intention, that's different, but you're just blowing money um, blindly. It's not a good decision. Yeah, facts. And the, and the investors that I know who, you know, make that decision, hey, they, they not making a hundred a year. They making, you know, multiple six figures a year. So it, it's a whole different ball game when, you, when you're making that decision. Man. <laughs> So for those who's looking to get in the house hacking, man, you know, what what mistakes did you make along the way that you would kind of avoid? I know you talk about you talked about some of the um, tenant screening things, but outside of that, you know, what other mistakes would you advise new house hackers to avoid? And then if you could change anything, um, what would you change? What mistakes? Uh, I would say first thing that comes to mind is like not getting or I, I would say this, this is my main one 
not having a plan for your money when you when you're getting it. So like um when I first house hack, I was a younger dude. I was young. I think I was like closer to y'all age. I know y'all y'all some uh, young boys, but y'all moving ahead though. Uh, you know, way faster than I was moving. But I was a lot younger and I was foolish. So when I started house hacking, I had a bunch of extra money every month that I wasn't paying towards, you know, rent. Plus I had my job money and I was blowing it, man. I was going on days, I was traveling, I was in hotels, I was wilding. So I would say make sure you have a plan. Um I remember I had a, a tenant, my first tenant, his name was Patrick. He saw that I was house hacking, got the game, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, read a couple books that I had in my library, bought a five bedroom house, like moved out. He's my roommate, moved out, bought a five bedroom house, and then bought a um, five unit apartment building. But he had a plan. He was stacking all his chips, every penny. He was like focused. Me, I'm blowing money for a year. You know, I'm blowing money for a year and a half, whatever. So I would say have have a goal and have a plan. Um, another thing is don't get too friendly with the tenants. Um, be cordial and be friendly, but don't be friends with them. Um, when that happens, sometimes they feel like they can break the rules or bend the rules. So I would advise against that. And anybody thinking about house hacking, I would say consider starting off with the conventional loan if you can, um, putting 5% down. And then from there, you can leap directly to the FHA. You don't have to uh, refinance. You don't have to wait for the equity to go up. So if you can do that extra um, 1.5, 2%, uh, go conventional first, and then you can immediately jump over to FHA without any problems. So that's what I would recommend. That's what I would do differently, bro. Start off with that's, conventional. That's dope. That's dope. So before we get into the final questions, man, let's talk through... Nipsey quote of the day. For those who don't know, you know, this podcast was inspired by the late, great Nipsey Hustle. So Nipsey quote of the day is, even as you make progress, you need the discipline to keep from backtracking and sabotage, sabotaging the success as is happening, man. And, and I, I think I think that's a crazy dope quote because it's so easy when you up to just start making the wrong moves. And I think a lot of times it really comes into play where you're focusing on the reward and not the process, right? So this this even happened to me. Like, you know, I was doing very, very well in courses. And I got lazy. I literally had maybe about a three-week stretch where literally every single day, I was making a grand plus a day, like, because I had my ads, they were going crazy, and I wasn't doing the same things that got me there before I started running those ads, right? So I kind of got dependent on them. And then now that reward that I'm getting those gumroad notifications, it was like dopamine. So mm-hmm. I, I just I just lost sight of the whole process and then sales went down and now I'm kind of rebuilding that back up. It's crazy. Uh, but I think that's a that's a super, super important quote. And I think we all probably had experiences that we can touch on that relate to yeah. it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I could just echo the same thing, bro. Like I remember wasn't running no ads. It was kind of a low-key brand. I started like running up, doubling my followers within days. So like you said, I remember one month I made a grand like every day. You know what I'm saying? Every day of the month, start doing Facebook ads. And you just start putting your feet up. You know what I mean? Invite the girl, your shorty over. You know what I'm saying? You get the car out. <laughs> so you got you to gotta keep, keep going. It's a marathon. Man. You just got to keep going. Get your breathing right. And, and, and to add to that, I think a lot of us, not, not let, me, let me watch what I say. But so many of us, we fall victim to lifestyle creep, right? Once we see that new money coming in, we'll be like, oh, shit, okay, now I can go get this Lexus that I want, right? Or, you know, not changing the mindset of, okay, what else can I invest in that could, you know, pay for the Lexus or, you know, pay for the Tesla, whatever it is that you want. And we've all been there, man. We've all been down that path where the money is just trickling in. And then next thing you know, oh, we we, we got a trip to Vegas or we got a trip to Miami. And then we just run up the bag real quick. Uh, 
just just because we can. And, and it becomes a thing where if you don't recognize it, then that can become habitual. And our success lies in those small daily things that we do every day, right? And it's, and it's the power of our habits. So we got to be very conscious, man, and intentional with everything that we're doing. Nobody is perfect, but at the end of the day, as long as you can recognize that you kind of let up or you ain't got your foot on the pedal anymore, you know, then it's always opportunity for you to kind of shift gears and get back on track. What you don't want to do is see yourself a year from now or two years from now, you know, not even recognizing that what you've been doing has been been hindering you, right? What they say, uh, the person you look at in the mirror is your biggest challenge, right? So we have to be very conscious and aware of the things that we do, man, unconsciously. And the only way to do this is, is to self-assess. Yeah, so, man, we definitely, definitely appreciate you coming to the show. We're about to get into our wrap-up questions. So for the young, young listeners out there, man, the first questions we have is, if you could give your 18-year-old self three pieces of advice, what would it be? Um, the first one is have unlimited, invincible faith in yourself. Um, I, I saw Brandon Jones, I think his name is B Reinvest on Twitter, say, um, when was the last time you bet on yourself and failed? And um, it's just a lot of times what Eugene said is, is you versus you, right? So that self-doubt is what really holds us back. Um, that lifestyle creep, that easing up on the habits, it's really just you. It's a one, one versus one. So always have faith um i would say like as well go after your dreams like like with, with all your with all your heart you know what i mean i went to get into real estate for for so long and i waited and waited and waited it's like if you know you have a passion just run at it full speed and lastly i think is don't be afraid of success there was a lot of time as I, as I was up and I was kind of like rising in my in my life. Um, I started getting like afraid of what success would look like if I would change, if I was lo- if I would lose people. Um, and I think um, just go for it, just gun, man. If you lose people, I don't think they're meant to be there. The people who are meant to be there, they'll, they'll, they'll stay with you. So, so what is the biggest flex you made since elevating to where you are now? <laughs> uh, like I know you had to do something. Look, let us let, let the people you know. know. What? It's, it's, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that question. That's funny. Um, it's something. It's something. I guess. What What is the biggest flex, bro? Um, I I guess it's like. I guess it's two. I don't know what you what you would say, but I paint. I, I thought it was a flex. I painted my whole triplex. Like it's just. It's beautiful. It's, I, I redid it. It's really nice. Um, and I built a nasty portfolio in the um, in the stock market, man. Just off the you know the courses and the um, in the uh, you know work that I've been doing with real estate. Uh, so I think that's my my biggest flex. But you know what? To be real, real, real honest and kind of cheesy too, I say all the people I help close properties, man, because that's when I get teary. That's when I get teary eyed, man. All the Gumroad notifications is dope. Um, but like seeing people close, that stuff is, that's been the biggest flex, man. I'm gonna have to say that, man. Nah, that's dope. And, and one one advi- piece of advice I would have, I don't know if you're tracking it like the number, but track it, write it down. Cause that's one thing I wish I did. Cause I'm like, I gotta try to mem- remember just off the top of my head and I can't do it. Um, so I just started tracking it. So Like know, how many people you help you mean? Yeah, like how many okay. people actually close on the house, man? Like keep track of that year over year. Because that's crazy because you're really helping people change the dynamic, you know, of their families. A lot of these people, they never own, their parents may, may have never owned a home. And even mm-hmm. if they owned a home, they probably never owned an actual investment that's paying them every month. So changing lives, man, changing families, man, that's that's crazy. So that's, that's what, what, what's next for you? How are you going to double up the rest of the year? So this thing is it's crazy, right? I was telling uh, Eugene, and y'all can maybe uh, interview me at another time, like once we do this in the future, but I was telling Eugene that the young 
young lady who owned those two four units, I stayed in contact with her all through, through the years. Um, and she built a new construction, her and her husband, a six mm-hmm. unit on the back of their one of their four units. I'm talking late the plumbing, like architectural plans, like how you doing with the permits and all that. Um, but every in LA, everything is just, you know, bigger, bigger scale. Um, and it's like over a million dollar deal, mm-hmm. six unit. And so she just called me yesterday and she's like, Mark, like you at UCLA doing the real estate, you got this huge network on social media. Um, I just got approved for a million dollar loan, but I want to get like a 20, 30, 40 unit out of state. And I want you to get some investors from Twitter network, UCLA network, and let's 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 syndicate a deal. So um when she said that, I like my mind's like blown because that's what I wanted to do after school anyway. So now, man, that's the focus is um is making that happen with, with her and some investors that I met, you know, along this path and on, on this journey. So yeah, that's, that's gonna be that's fine. A double De- definitely make that happen. You you gotta make it happen. You heard it here first. Hey, I can't wait to. I can't wait to bring you back and interview you, man. Syndications are crazy dope. Like, so much money in it, man. So much money. But last question, man. Where can the people find you? Let the people know, you know, what Black Friday sales you got going on. <laughs> and I'm, fo- I'm following Infamous CK. <laughs> just, search, just search underneath the followers and look for Living Rent Free. He's the, you know, he's the, he's the big little bro. Uh, living Rent Free is living, no G, rent free on um, IG. Same thing on Twitter. Um, right now for Black Friday, what we're doing is we're giving out two um, AirPod Pros to anybody that buys uh, courses. They're entered to win. Um, everything is half off from now until Cyber Monday uh, yes. next week. So check it out. Um, and that's what we got. That's what we got cracking. Take advantage, man. Hey, take advantage. We're going to make sure to include all the links to his Instagram, to Twitter, as well as the link to you know all the courses in the show notes. So make sure to check those out. Well, Mark, man, thank you for coming on. Thank you for thank spending you. time with us, man, chopping it up. We definitely, definitely appreciate it. And like I said, man, can't wait to have you back on once you close that syndication deal. Man, thank you. Let's go. All right, man. This is another dope episode of Double Up Podcast. This is episode 25 with Mark Jones. Hey, thank you guys for rocking with us. And we out. Later, dude.